Welcome to America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Welcome, Team Buck, to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you, as always. Before I get into the latest on the Russia investigation, all that stuff, which is, once again, dominating the headlines. I want to just take a moment to cherish one of the the better public figure quotes I've heard in a long time. Certainly the quote of the weekend, maybe the quote of the month, maybe even so far, quote of the year, courtesy of Secretary of Defense James Mattis. Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. (laughs) He was asked what keeps him awake at night. And wait... This is what he said. Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. Love it. Best quote, uh, best quote of the of the weekend from uh, from James Mattis, who's a guy with some pretty well known quotes on a whole bunch of issues. So it, it's a reminder, everybody. There are there are still some great ones out there in this government doing fantastic work, and and there are uh, wonderful patriots and people that. Uh, stand ready to do violence on our behalf so that we sleep soundly at night. So there you have it. Or stand ready to order others uh, into action and into combat so that we sleep safely and soundly at night. And uh, James Mattis is certainly one of them. So I just, I thought that was, that was great. He also talked a bit about what's going to happen with the Islamic State and the caliphate, but I think we'll get into that later on in the show. Speaking of the show, uh, we got a lot here. Okay. The, Back channel, such as it is, uh, with Jared Kushner, the reporting on that, which we talked about Friday as it was breaking. Uh, We also will get into the latest in the Russia probe. I even have an update here. Breaking news of the Associated Press claiming a source telling them, of course, another anonymous source, a source telling them that ex-National Security Advisor Flynn uh, will provide some documents under subpoena to the Senate Intelligence Committee. All right. So you have that going on. Um, you also have the... Oh, so we'll have all the different Russia probe updates. We've got that fight on the floor of the Texas State House. Bring up to speed on that. And uh, some other odds and ends from the news cycle. Something not funny from Kathy Griffin. What taking the red pill means in the context of modern politics and the matrix. A lot of stuff to get into. But Cohen, um, Cohen is Trump's personal lawyer. Um, I believe it's Michael Cohen. Uh, and I did blank on his first name there for a second. I apologize for that. But it's Michael Cohen, right? Yeah, yeah Michael Cohen. That's right. Um, he is now also reportedly going to be involved in, uh, well, not involved, but he's a part of the Russia probe. And for those of you who are like, wait, who's Trump's personal lawyer? What's, uh, this is also a great, this isn't Mattis level greatness in the quotes, but this was a, a pretty fantastic moment during the 
campaign when it was Clinton versus Trump, uh, CNN's Brianna Keeler was having a uh, an, an interview with Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer. And I don't know if you remember this, and I just want to play it for you because it was great. She was presenting him with, well, you can just hear it for yourself. All right, well, let me ask you about this. So you say you say it's not a shakeup, but you guys are down. And it makes Says sense who? that there would... Says polls, who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Polls. <laughs> I just told you. I answered your question. Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. And your okay. question is? Okay, so my question is... I don't think it is really surprising when facing a challenge and trying to make a turnaround that there would be some. Says who? Says you? Says who? Says what? Says where? Polls? What polls? Who's polls? I mean, I, I give the guy credit for just, wow. Anchors are not used to that. The, the, the power of, of TV for a lot of these uh, TV journalist types is that you are, most people are uh, used to being used to acting a certain way in a professional setting and TV often magnifies that. And so you, you generally want to come across, especially if you're not a TV pundit and you're not into the theatrics of it as, as polite. And it's a natural inclination. Those of you who have never done a TV interview, it's a natural inclination that, especially when you're dealing with a, a political segment you want to get beyond, because if you're at CNN and you're a conservative, you're going to get ambushed. Uh, But it's a natural inclination to, uh, show some deference to the interviewer, and that's not for not for Trump's lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen. Who? Hey, who? Who's polls? What polls? Who's polls? Says who? <laughs> I mean, it was it was that was one of the more in a very memorable campaign. That was one of the interviews that I I remember thinking like, wow. Um. Oh, and, and I should note, and some of you are probably already thinking this or saying this even out loud. Uh, he he was right in terms of polls. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean what you think it means. I do what you think it means that the polls have Trump down substantially. The polls all had Trump down, and as we know, he won. So that's the the latest on the Russia probe in terms of uh, updates for you. And I like to make sure that I bring up to speed on all the latest news. Uh, is uh, that you've got Michael Cohen will be brought in as a part of this, and also. Or he's a person of, of some interest or whatever the specifics are on, on how they're putting it. Um, and you also have perhaps Michael Flynn giving some documentation. Uh, but at the center of all this, the, the big story still is about Jared Kushner. And you got Sean Spicer back at the podium today. I, I will say this. I, I had a feeling that he might have been moved on to other exciting opportunities by this point in time, but that has not materialized. That is not the case. But yet Spicer, and he was asked about what happened last week. And as a quick review, news broke on Friday that Jared Kushner, the son-in-law slash senior, perhaps senior most, most powerful advisor to Donald Trump, which would mean he is the most powerful advisor in the United States government who has zero national national security or political experience of any kind whatsoever before this, which, okay, we all know that. Um, he was supposedly involved in trying to set up, this was based on anonymous sourcing, which so much of this 
now is. In fact, I, I find myself uh, asked by friends of mine uh, who are out of the new, outside of the media business but want to follow things like this closely and accurately, well, what do we do when anonymous sources from one newspaper contradict anonymous sources from another newspaper? Well, the answer is it leads to a lot of confusion and a lot of contested uh, conclusions, right? Because on the one hand, we're being told, well, this is what our sources are sound and solid. Well, is it just then who do you, which news outlet do you trust more? That becomes a pretty difficult game to play, I think. But anyway, Kushner was supposed to have been interested in setting up uh, a back-channel communication. We talked about this on Friday with the Russians. Now, some interesting points about this. First of all, the only way that we could know about this would be if somebody, again is leaking classified information to the press, it would seem, right? I mean, I, I will take the uh, the DNI, former DNI Clapper position on this, right, where he, he's saying everyone's talking about this stuff, but just because we're all talking about it doesn't mean we can talk about it because it would be classified if it were true, and I'm not saying it's true. So I, I, I'm taking that position on this, right? I, I don't know if it's true or not. But for it to be true, for someone to know about communications the Russian ambassador was having back to Russia, which I believe is what it says in the story, you would have to have somebody with access who is sharing that access in violation of the law with the press for political purposes. Um, oh, but speaking of, of the Clapper position here, you can hear it from um, the, the man himself. Specifically affirming uh, or con confirming these conversations, since even though they're in the public realm, they're still classified. But just from a theoretical standpoint, I will tell you that um, uh, my dashboard warning light was clearly on, and I think that was the case with uh, all of us in the intelligence community, very concerned about uh, the nature of these uh, uh, approaches uh, to the Russians. You see how unfair all of this is? So there's information that's out there in the public domain. They won't tell us if the information is accurate or not. They just keep on suggesting that there's more, suggesting that there were deep concerns beneath the information, but they won't say if the information is true or not. So what are the American people to make of this? Uh, how are we to either discount or not the information that comes to us via these news outlets that say things about the administration that change opinions, that make people think that maybe they can't trust Donald Trump, they can't trust his people. Well, I don't know. All I know is now what I read in the newspaper, just like you, right? So I, I don't know if, if this stuff is true or not, but I do think we should take note of the fact that they will talk about it. People that had access will talk about it, but even they won't affirm whether it is true or not. So what a bizarre world we are living in. Anonymous sources contradicting other anonymous sources and people on the record who had access to classified and would know the truth, or at least you would think would know the truth of whether or not some of these allegations are true, will talk about the allegations but not affirm their authenticity or not. Which also then brings me to why I believe, and I know people would say, oh, well, Trump would, it would look like he was meddling or causing problems for the ongoing investigation. This invest investigation is going to be ongoing in one way or another for the entirety of Trump's presidency. 
Everyone needs to get used to that right now. This is not going anywhere. Uh, you know, maybe by term two, but they're assuming there won't be a term two. You you can take it to the bank that for the next two or three years minimum, you're going to be hearing about Trump and Russia. And yeah, you know, it's just there's no way they're going to let this fall off. It's too useful a political tool. It's it's too meaningful to them as a way of diverting all the rest of the agenda. But we're having conversations about conversations that we won't even know. We can't even be told by our own government if they happened or not. But everyone in the media is acting like they happened. And you've got public officials who could know if they happened saying, well, I can't tell you if they happened. I mean, I, and I know I'm starting to speak in circles, but I'm doing it on purpose, right? Because we're all getting pretty tired of it. How about some facts? How about some truth? How about verification one way or the other? You'd like to think that at some point the government would come to the conclusion that knowing whether the president engaged in, uh, I don't know, collusion, which isn't even a crime, so I don't know what that, but it could be politically catastrophic or politically very damaging. Knowing whether the president uh, was working with a foreign country to undermine his political opposition in this country, we, we have a right to know, don't we? And people will say, Buck, it'll come out of investigation. No, it won't. Now it's a special counsel. It's not going to come out for a long time. So we get to sit here and argue over leaks, leaks that are meant to harm, leaks that are meant to undermine, and that we can't really deal with because we don't even know if the leaks are true or not. It's quite a propaganda fight that we're in right now where the where you have major news outlets can get away with running story after story based on anonymous sourcing and that the government doesn't even tell us one way or the other is accurate and of course they say well because it's classified i say well the president should declassify some of this then i want to know but their defense of all this is not great which is probably why they have had some uh shake up recently with the white house communications director michael dubke i hope i'm saying that right uh he has resigned and i think there'll be other resignations coming pretty soon here uh, spicer back at the podium i, I got uh diverted from that uh, i want to return to it but we got to hit a break here 8-844-900-2825-844-900 buck ton of show coming your way we'll be right back reports that there's going to be an overhaul of the communications wait, operation wait, or we... fake news. <laughs> I that, think... That's where the question I know. So now you want to come back to that. What I'm telling you is, is that the reason that the president is frustrated is because there's a perpetuation of false narratives, a use of unnamed sources over and over again about things that are happening that don't ultimately happen. And I think that is troubling. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Run for the exits. Sean Spicer. Spicy. One day I'll have to meet Spicy. Uh, he's he's doing his thing. I, I thought today as, as I watched that press conference uh, that, that this really is theater and, and not particularly useful. So, so Spicer stands up and, and says, uh, goes over Trump's trip and it's all amazing and talks about how great it is. And I can understand why, right? This is he's giving the White House point of view and he's trying to the, the media is certainly not going to give any uh benefit of the doubt to the Trump administration. And so they should have their side of it heard, right? This is like your lawyer in court standing up, you know, your, your side should be heard and the administration side should be heard. But, you know, it's just, oh, everything was great and fantastic. And this is what we're doing on policy and tax reform. And he's just talking about all these major issues. Spicer up there at the podium. 
and, and then he opens it up to the press, and it just so 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 is it is it true that Jared Kushner's going to go to prison? I mean, that's not really what they ask, but it's kind of the stuff that they ask. Uh, they pushed a lot of, and somebody was asking about climate. Does the president believe in climate change? I mean, it's just you have all these people asking questions that aren't meant to illuminate much of what the administration's doing. They're meant to uh, create a hopefully a viral moment, right? A, a moment that gets shared around of of a tense exchange between the two, and, and then that propels that reporter onto some of the uh, different TV shows out there. That's what they're hoping for. Or to just get a question out there that forces the administration into a defensive posture, a defensive crouch up there, Sean Spicer, at least in a defensive crouch. And then, you know, play that, you know. Is it true, is it true this administration does not believe in, cli- in man-made climate change? Well, you know, really? That's what we're going to ask today? I mean, that's I mean, it's, a, it's an okay question, but that's that's like top of mind. I was just watching this thing. I was like, why is that? You know, and somebody else, uh, I think, was it the guy who asked that one about climate change? I can't remember. I'm getting the questions muddled in my head. But the point here being, uh, you know, other people are asking stuff. Oh, Kushner, of course. They asked about they asked about uh, about Kushner. And uh, here's what was said. Mr. Kushner's attorney has said that uh, Mr. Kushner has volunteered to share with Congress what he knows about these meetings. And he will do the same if he's contacted in or in connected with any other inquiry. Did the president discuss it, though? I, I'm not going to get into what the president did or did not discuss. But it, it, what, what your question assumes is a lot of facts that are not substantiated by anything but um, anonymous uh, sources that are so far being leaked out. Does he approve of that action? I, I, you're, you're asking if he approves of an action that is not a confirmed action. That being said, I think Secretary Kelly and General McMaster have both discussed uh, that in general terms, uh, back channels are an appropriate part of diplomacy. I don't think this is a particularly effective way. Uh, I don't think this is a, an effective approach for the administration. Um, right. I, I don't think that uh, they should be um, both saying on the one hand, we won't we won't affirm we, we will neither confirm nor deny that Kushner did this. But if he did it, it's totally OK. I, I understand how their thinking works on that. I, I, I get it, but I don't think it's effective. I think that they should just either say we're not going to address that or, or say, look, a back channel is is completely fine. Uh, because it looks like they're trying to have it both ways. Well, we're not going to tell you if there was an effort to create a back channel, and we're uh, going to tell you that back channels are are no problem. It should be noted, and I'm going to get into this later on with our our friend uh, uh, Andy McCarthy from Natural View, will be joining, talk about all the stuff in the investigation. Uh, it should be noted that back channels have been used in the past, and once again, this is a big news story, but I, I'm left thinking to myself, why? Uh, nothing illegal, and if uh, it, it looks maybe politically stupid, but that's not as big of a story. If Kushner did try to set up some means of communicating with the Russian officials as an incoming, as an incoming transition person, right, White House transition official, uh, Secret diplomacy happens all the time. Uh, what's the what's the big story? I'm not sure what it is. Just like with Flynn speaking to the ambassador, which I don't know if did that happen or not happen. They won't confirm or deny that either. Nothing wrong with it. 
Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Paul in Florida on the iHeart app. What's up, sir? Shields high, Buck. Shields high. Uh, happy belated Memorial Day greetings from Florida. I hope you um, had a blessed woman with your family. Thank you. What's up? You sure did. Thank you very much. Um, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, who has been leaking a vast majority of the leaks for well, classified information. He also owns Amazon. Now, most of us know Amazon as the cool company that delivers stuff to your door, but Amazon also owns a large number of servers. In fact, 300,000 companies in the United States uh, lease servers from Amazon in the cloud, as well as a large number of government agencies, including the CIA and various other unnamed intelligence agencies. Wait, well, you, um, you have to tell me this again. What are you saying about Amazon and, the, and, and what? Amazon is makes all of its, its real money, not from delivering things, but from leasing servers. It basically owns the cloud. It's the largest cloud server provider in the U.S. And it uh, actually leases servers to 300,000 companies in the U.S., as well as government agencies. You can look at, uh, they have a project, Amazon. You go to aws.amazon.com slash uh, usgov or something like that. Okay. And it shows the different government agencies. They've also received large contracts from the CIA and other unnamed in, in intelligence agencies to provide servers in the cloud for the intelligence um, industry. So the same information that is being leaked by the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, is also stored on servers owned by Jeff Bezos. Um, well, I, I, I got I know nothing about this story, so I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't even know. It's just, it's just out there. No, do, do the research. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I will. I will look at this. I mean, I, uh, I'm sure that there, there must be firewalls or ways that they prevent, uh, assuming what you're telling me is accurate, that Bezos, I mean, I can imagine that, that maybe Amazon has, has sold servers to various U.S. government entities. That doesn't seem strange to me, right? Someone's got to, you know, whether it's IBM or Amazon or, I mean, someone's got to make the hardware, but I don't see how you, your assumptions here seems to be that Amazon would still have some kind of back end access into government into government property once it's the government's property and that that's related to the leaks. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of what ifs, Paul. Uh, and and I and the people that um, all I'm saying is that it's a I didn't say all I said, all I'm saying is that the same information that's stored on those servers is also being leaked by the Washington Post and owned by the same person. How is that not a conflict of interest, especially when the Washington Post is making a lot of money? Well, I, I'm my assumption would be that the, the leaks that we're talking about in the press are people who see information in some format inside of the government and then are speaking, uh, most likely in person, because they, they would want to have uh, some, some tradecraft involved in all of this and not... You know, if you've got nothing to, you know, if you've got nothing to hide or you got no problem, you send an email or a text message. But if you want to, if if you want to tell somebody something you're not supposed to, and you know that you want to see them in person, so that would be how I I would think the leaks are happening. So, Paul, I I got to think about what you're saying a little more. Thank you for calling in. I, I do not, I don't see that as an issue, um, but. I got to think more about it, and I'm not a. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I am not a a tech person, so after people are like, "Oh, you were in the you were in the CIA," I was I was a like a counterterrorism analyst, which is a lot like, um, well, just an, just 
you know, you do an, you do analysis. I was a counterterrorism analyst. We do analysis, uh, which is true. It's a lot of reading and memos and databases and things like that. So, uh, you know, occasionally, if you get, if you really want to fight the GWAT, you know, if you want to fight the global war on terror, maybe you bust out a spreadsheet. You know, maybe if if you really want to send Bin Laden's uh, emissaries into a state of fright, you know, if you want to. Uh, or you know his his people that work with him, or if you want to make Al Qaeda scared, uh, you bust out a PowerPoint presentation. You know and that's this is the kind of stuff that you um, kind of stuff you do. You know, GWAT. So someone's got to analyze and fight through analysis, tightly worded memos to terrify the terrorists. That's what that's how I used to roll. Um, back to news. Uh, this was I thought the most underreported story of the day from over. Uh, the weekend uh, we we were going to play the audio but it really just turns into like rah, 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 rah. so think of it that i i played the audio for you just like, rah, 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 like yelling and shouting and you know there's people in a anytime you've got an argument happening in a in a hallway where there's marble it just is it doesn't make for good radio so uh this is what happened though uh and, th- and this is i think a much bigger um, much bigger story than it got credit for. Everyone's so focused on the Kushner thing. And by the way, we're going to return to that later on with uh, our friend Andy McCarthy and, and dive a little deeper into it. I, I don't see that much in it. And uh, back channels have been opened in the past, including by you know, JFK when he was president. Um, but we'll get there. For now, in Texas, uh, on the in the in at the end of the Texas state legislature's uh, schedule, uh, session schedule whatever this happened you had representative matt rinaldi whom i'm just realizing now we should have invited on the show and and uh maybe we'll let's try to get him on tomorrow just as a as a see if he wants to chat about this i should have invited him on today i just i had a lot of my a lot of other stuff going a lot of stuff on the plate so matt rinaldi uh, is at the state house and there's a protest going on outside, and there are protests of people that have on red T-shirts that all say, uh, well, it's all about immigration stuff. I actually don't know what the T-shirts say. I'm trying to find it here. but And Rinaldi, and these are people that are protesting the recently signed law in the state of Texas known as Senate Bill 4 that has been signed by Governor Greg Abbott. That says that cities and counties will cooperate with federal immigration authorities. Um, in, in effect, what's been the problem in the past with sanctuary cities is that they use the discretion of police power within a state or a city to choose not to help the federal government on immigration issues. Now, it is a matter of federal statute right now. It, it is the law that no one is allowed to get in the way of federal immigration uh, authorities' work, and also that they have to inform, that local police have to inform the feds of the immigration status of somebody in their custody. They don't always comply with that. There's an additional step in the whole sanctuary city debate, and that is about detainers. They call them ICE detainers, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. ICE will say, hey, you have uh, individual A in your custody. Well, will you hold Mr. A for a day or two because we want to deport him? And there are plenty of places that will not do that. 
unless the guy's a, a violent felon, and even then, I think sometimes it doesn't. They don't want to. They don't do it uh, because it is seen as anti. Remember, don't use their language. Don't let them dictate the terms of discussion. It's not that it's anti-immigrant. It's anti-illegal immigrant, right? The immigrants, there, there's not an issue here with immigrants. The, the debate is not over immigrants that we're having right now. It's over illegal immigrants. It's not over immigrants. They try to conflate these things together, which is why now the term undocumented immigrants has been uh, so uh, pushed by all these different media outlets. And you might find yourself, I know, it might bum you out, bums me out. You might find yourself in a position where you say it and you don't even intend to say it right it'll just kind of say well you know there's this debate over undocumented immigrants you go oh gosh it happened because you hear it enough and it gets stuck in your brain this is one of the one of the ways that propaganda works whether you're selling people uh paper towels or you are trying to convince them of an immigration policy slogans certain words certain imagery even if you don't realize it at the time it can have a subconscious effect on you and this is why you know over time when you gotta, if you're gonna blow your nose, you ask for a Kleenex. You don't ask for facial tissue, you know, because of the uh, the effectiveness of that product and its campaigns over all all the different years, right? So, all right, back to the uh, Texas state floor and what happened here. So you've got the bill that's this bill says that in the state of Texas, and it's by the way, this is completely within the state of Texas's authority. There's there's no problem here with that, meaning that there's no. This isn't an issue of Texas overstepping its authority. Texas is saying that cities and counties in the state of Texas will cooperate, will will honor these ICE detainer requests for people that are in the country illegally. It also bans local uh, local law enforcement from well it, it bans people from banning police officers from asking about immigration status for those that they detain so if you arrest somebody you can ask about their immigration status and also if ice wants you to hold somebody in the state of texas now you hold them it's the law and there are penalties if you violate it okay you'd think well this is a the state of, this is a, a state operating within its purview within its jurisdiction and all should be well. Well, that is not what happened because people were protesting. People were gathered and uh, they were protesting sanctu- the Sanctuary Cities Law, Senate Bill 4. And there were, uh, the protesters were primarily wearing these red T-shirts. And Matt Rinaldi reportedly called Immigrations and Customs Enforcement on the people who were at uh, the State House protesting. I am assuming that some of them uh, were stating quite openly their illegal status. We've seen this in the past. People will show up even at a State of the Union address. People will show up at protests on the National Mall and they'll say, I'm an illegal. I demand this. I'm an illegal. I demand that. Only with immigration do you see people flaunt their violations of the law with such impunity and, in fact, based on their illegality, make demands. I am an illegal, therefore, I want you to do the following. You know, you would never see this under other, you would never see somebody standing on the mall saying, I refuse to pay my taxes and haven't filed taxes in a decade, therefore, I demand you change the tax code. That is exactly what is happening here. People who are illegal, demanding a change in a law that they are in, the, in a state of violation of. 
Well, this led to some nastiness. This led to a what was gently termed a scuffle on the floor of the Texas State House with uh, Representative Rinaldi um, saying that Representative Pancho Navarez, who is a Democrat uh, in the Texas State Legislature, quote, threatened my life on the House floor. Rinaldi also said, I was pushed, jostled, and someone threatened to kill me. It was basically just bullying. Well, it's actually more than bullying if someone's threatening to kill you, but that's an aside. You can't threaten to kill people. That's that's illegal. Uh, Navarez uh, said to the Texas Tribune that he was... Uh, that he put his hands on Minaldi and told him to take his argument outside the House chamber, but, quote, uh, but was I going to shoot the guy? No. He's a liar and a hateful man. Got no use for him. God bless him. Kind of strange to say really mean things about somebody and say you have no use for them and then say God bless him. But nonetheless, that is what this representative Navarro said. So there's a video of this, and uh, you can watch the video. We'll put it on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to check it out. Um, there's video of the scuffles. It's nothing too, uh, nothing too serious. N- not as interesting viewing as that baseball fight that happened over the weekend. Who was, who was that? It was a couple of people. I forget who it was. Uh, but the guy lost all of the, the hitter lost all of his momentum charging the mound because he threw his helmet and, and missed the pitcher with his helmet by a mile after he got nailed right around. It looked like the, the waist with a, with a pitch. Um, and then, then they threw and landed some punches. That's all on camera. The Rinaldi fight, from what I saw, was just more of a, the shoving and the things getting nasty. But this is what it's turned into. Uh, th- now you have people who are members of a state legislature are threatening physical violence against fellow state uh, state assemblymen or state congressmen or senators or whatever this is, state senators, threatening violence against them for duly passing laws that are fully within the power of the state to pass because the immigration issue is such a passionate one for the left and they have such an investment in widespread illegality. You could say the Democratic Party has been colluding with illegal immigration for decades. They have been benefiting from it. They have been encouraging it. They have been active in sheltering it and they will do anything they can to prevent the stoppage of it. And this got nasty and it got ugly. Why wouldn't somebody be in a position now under Texas law to call someone if they believe that there is uh, illegal activity going on? If someone is yelling out, I'm an illegal immigrant, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement called to the scene. I mean, this is at the state capitol. We, we are either a we're either a state or a country of laws or we are not as you I'm sure you've heard many times before if people feel that with impunity remember civil disobedience uh, true civil disobedience involves taking the punishment for the violated law and accepting that you will you you are morally right and will win the argument and perhaps will be exonerated after the fact but th- that has been in the history of civil civil disobedience it's I will sit down knowing that I will get arrested for, you know, violating whatever the statute may be. or It's not, I'm going to say that I'm illegal and make demands of my state legislature, and oh, by the way, nobody's allowed to arrest me for anything. That's actually not the way that it works, and that this is getting 
uh, this got so heated that there were people who are supposed to be setting an example, though I know politicians these days never really set an example, but putting hands in each other and getting physical and threats of violence, threats of shooting one another, if you believe these reports, just shows how ugly this fight over sanctuary cities is going to get. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. All right, we will hit a quick break here, team, and we'll be right back. Well, I got some good news, some breaking news here. The U.S. has conducted a successful missile intercept test, according to the Pentagon. Uh, Here's the, the piece up on Fox News. The U.S. military successfully shot down a mock nuclear warhead simulating the speed and range of a potential North Korean intercontinental ballistic missile, the Pentagon's Missile Defense Agency said Tuesday. In a statement, the agency said an unarmed rocket launched from the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean was destroyed by a ground-based interceptor launched from Vandenberg Air Force Base in Southern California as it traveled outside Earth's atmosphere. It was the first success. The successful test was the first of its kind in nearly three years. So, yay. This is some progress, it seems, in this area. But then there's the other side of this equation. The fact that it increasingly seems like this is a necessary uh, necessary capability for the United States to have on hand and one that we need to work very well. Um, North Korea is advancing its technology. It's doing more of these tests. And if there's any doubt about how crazy, well, I don't think anyone d- doubts how crazy the leadership is and Um, what they're capable of in North Korea. If you're willing to put your own people through what the the Kim regime is willing to do, then you're certainly willing to start wars, invade countries, fire fire off nuclear missiles, anything. I think think anything is possible when you're talking about North Korea in terms of the uh, level of insanity and depravity. So... All right, we've made some progress on shooting down missiles. Hopefully this is not something we're ever going to have to really use, but it's something we want to have on hand. certainly better to be able to do it and not need it than need it and not be able to do it. But uh, this is where I can probably deploy the greatest of all the national security analyst platitudes, which is the world is a dangerous place, my friends. Very dangerous place. A lot of instability. A lot of destabilization. That's what people say when they have nothing else to say. Uh, We're going to talk Kushner, back channel, Russia, other back channels, other stuff too, and a whole lot more coming up in the next hour. Stay with me. He spreads freedom because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. And back by popular demand, our friend Andy McCarthy, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review. His latest, the alleged Kushner-Kizilyak meeting, amateur hour, maybe worse than collusion. Andy, great to have you back, sir. Buck, great to be with you. All right. So, uh, you're, first of all, nothing, nothing illegal that anyone can point to Assuming this meeting, let, let's assume that what's reported is true, which is an assumption. It really isn't known that this is, I mean, it's not, uh, doesn't seem solidified yet that this is what happened. Maybe it, it, some of it's true, some of it's not. But assuming what was reported by the Washington Post is true, that there was some effort by the president's son-in-law slash top advisor to meet after the election with the Russians or or a desire, not, not even a meeting, a, a desire to meet with the Russians in this way. Is that a problem? 
Well, I think it's uh, it's got problematic aspects to it. I, I think that back channels are generally useful, and all administrations engage in them. Uh, obviously, Russia is a, a, a very important country, very important geopolitical adversary. We have some mutual interests. We have to be able to have open lines of communication with them. I get that. Um, I think we all get that on a certain level. The way this one uh, was proposed to be set up, again, Buck, as you're saying, if the reporting is true, uh, has problematic, troublesome aspects to it. But, but just putting that on the side for the moment, I really think the most important thing about this meeting and the thing that the uh, Democrats and the left don't seem to be getting because they're too giddy over the, uh, the prospect of, of you know, sticking it to Kushner and sticking it to Trump again is this new reporting blows up the collusion narrative that we've heard for six months. Because if there had been any meaningful collusion of some kind, of any kind, between the Trump campaign and the Putin regime during the election campaign, then there would have been no need to set up a back channel weeks after the election was over in December. So I know they're loving this story at the moment, but it kind of, to my mind, logically, it eviscerates the story we've been hearing for the last six months. Right. If, if you've been working in back channel to subvert an election, once you've subverted the election, you already have your back channel. <laughs> at least. At a minimum. Yes. Yeah, so- yeah, so I, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand why that hasn't gotten more traction yet. It seems to me that that was the most important element of the reporting. I get that um, people are concerned. I'd be very concerned about their judgment in having a meeting with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, under these circumstances. I know that there is now, you know, he said, she said, back and forth about who was the one. Was it Kislyak or was it Kushner? Who proposed this back channel. But to me, the, the, the troubling aspect of it is to have a meeting like this without letting our own intelligence people know that it was going to happen and, and you know, get, get a chance for a briefing on it beforehand. Um, what, what you end up doing is your line of communication is completely in the control of Russia, so they can spin it for whatever expedient purposes they think they can uh, get some advantage out of and eventually and you know this better than i do buck eventually our intelligence guys are going to find out about it and the fact that you've tried to have a meeting with putting them in on it can be made to look like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing which is you know going to be alarming to people right so it was perhaps uh, assuming it was what what was reported which is that there was a desire on the part of Kushner to set up this back channel after the election to, I, I suppose, evade U- U.S. collection, right? I mean, that's that why that's why they would be theoretically meeting on on the Russian compound, um, right? But which which is also interesting, by the way, because given all the leaks that we've seen, which of course no one who would know is confirming or denying, but they're all out there. Everybody's talking about them. A desire to evade U.S. intelligence scrutiny uh, for, for Jared Kushner and for the Trump administration doesn't seem uh, quite as paranoid as, as it might otherwise. But it looks right. dumb, even if it's not illegal. That seems to be the point you're making in your piece. Yeah, I, I, I really am sympathetic to them in the sense that, you know, uh, 
this may be Kushner's first rodeo, but it's not Flynn's. And he obviously knows who Kislyak is. Flynn was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So he, I think, should have known better than to walk into a meeting like this with, with Kislyak, where you give the Russians and the, your enemies in the intelligence community the chance to spin it as something you were doing in a, in a, either from the intelligence community's perspective, a sneaky way, or from Russia's perspective, you know, misrepresent what the, what the meeting was about. Um, I, I get that they feel under siege because they have so many enemies in the intelligence community and the broader bureaucracy that we've taken to calling the deep state, that they were trying to do something that couldn't be undermined. But this is not the way to go about that. We're speaking to Annie McCarthy from National Review about the Kushner uh, the alleged Kushner back channel. Uh, Andy, you had Department of Homeland Security Chief John Kelly say the following over the weekend. If it came from the United States, uh, it's totally unacceptable. Um, and I don't know why people do these kind of things, but it's it's borderline, if not over the over the uh, over the line of treason. You plan it. You call. You believe it's treason to leak some of this stuff. You believe that's I treason. I do believe it is. I, I believe when you leak the kind of information that seems to be routinely leaked, um, the high, high level of classification, uh, you are telling the... And the what en- was leaked on this Manchester bombing, you believe, maybe even meets, I think meets it, say, treason. I think it, it, it's darn close standard. to uh, uh, treason. I'm confused, by the way, Andy, because I saw administration officials saying that, that America, I think it was Tillerson, right, said that America takes full responsibility for the leak. And it seemed there the DHS secretary was saying, well, maybe if it was an American. I'm confused by that. Well, what I... Or t- Tillerson took, I'm sorry, I was looking at Tillerson took full responsibility for leak of British intel. Well, wh- why is he taking full responsibility if we don't know if it was an American? Uh, well, as you know, we, you and I have a lot less ability to... To, to know exactly what was leaked and where it came from and what the, you know, the chain of the information was than these guys do. But I took General Kelly Buck to be talking more broadly about the, the leaking that's gone on, not just in connection with Manchester, but, you know, what we've seen, this pattern that we've seen over a number of leaks. Oh, but yeah, he we, expanded it out to that for sure. Yeah, and, and I must say that, um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't have... Uh, sort of tendentiously been trying to pin him down on what treason means. But I do take his point because if you're leaking this kind of top level, top secret information, and it's to the obvious benefit of either hostile regimes or to terrorist organizations that are trying to kill Americans and and kill our allies, to me, that is treasonous. And whether you want to parse whether it meets the legal definition of treason or whether it's rhetorical treason, it's really bad and people ought to get prosecuted for it. I thought one of your uh, one of the very important points you make in your piece uh, about and the guys, the title is the alleged Kushner Kizilyak meeting amateur hour may be worse than collusion is the differentiation, which has come up before, but the differentiation between a criminal and a counterintelligence investigation. Counterintelligence investigation can just be the FBI, a DOJ, want to know what's going on, have a national security reason to know what's going on. But it doesn't mean anybody involved has done any, on the American side, has done anything wrong. And so leaking information from an ongoing counterintelligence investigation is 
deeply damaging, and those are very uh, egregious leaks. Those, those all, It's not minor if the DOJ is saying, oh, you know, so-and-so uh, had a conversation with, with this Russian, and it looks really bad for him, just FYI. That's not a minor thing. I mean, that's a real breach of trust, and, and that's a, a breach of the obligations to protect classified. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, f- from the standpoint of people that you would want to recruit to get the kind of information we need to protect the country, what we're telling those people is, in the end, we'll double-cross you and we can't keep a secret. So we're making it very difficult to, to collect the intelligence product. And from a constitutional standpoint, it's really a disgrace. And people ought to be, you know, to the extent they could be prosecuted or fired for it, that ought to happen. Because the reason we keep uh, counterintelligence investigations classified, in part, is precisely because we need to be able to talk to people, particularly Americans, who have interaction with the country that is the subject of the counterintelligence investigation. And if the way you pitch that, first of all, no one should find out about it at all. But if it, if it gets revealed that somebody has come up and it's what they just call an FBI investigation without clarifying that it's a counterterrorism investigation about Russia, not a criminal investigation about the person, you're really smearing that person as a criminal. And they know exactly that that's what they're doing. The, both the intelligence people who are leaking this stuff and the very experienced journalists who are reporting it all know that this is exactly the effect that they're having. Yeah, there's this very uh, uh, bizarre feeling situation where there are the major newspapers are reporting. And I do think that in most cases they're reporting using sourcing that they know is you know, th- these are higher up people, most most likely. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm, I'm guessing they're higher up people that is passing along this information to them. And we we discuss it. It has the impact of making Trump people look bad, right? Whether it's Kushner or Flynn or now, uh, you know, Cohen, they're saying is part of the probe. I mean, whoever it is that the leak actually directly, although the Cohen thing, I think, was just announced by the Congress. But you know what I mean? Whoever it is that's getting pulled in on any given day with uh, with the leak, um, they're not even really in a position to defend themselves because the government isn't willing to say whether or not the information's true. Yes, no, that's that's exactly right. And often probably not even in a position to say whether it's true. Uh, but the thing that I take away from it, Buck, is, you know, for the last eight years, I don't know if you would call it collusion, but if there had been collusion, you could scarcely have had a set of policy choices made that were more favorable to Russia. Um, and there's been accommodation of Russia here, there, and everywhere throughout the Obama years. I wish that Democrats in the media had been as worried about Russia during those eight years as they are now. But the point in making the comparison is simply to stress that this is entirely political. Because whatever they think the, the Trump people and, and Kushner may have been hatching up with Kislyak, which, by the way, as you point out, there's no evidence that it's uh, criminal, and we don't even know that it's underhanded. For all we know, it could, it could be about Syria. But the point is, there, what's going on here is not anything like what's gone on for the last eight years when everybody just yawned over basically Russia eating our lunch all over the world. So I have a hard time 
believing that the Democrats and the media are suddenly upset about the geopolitical threat of Russia. I wish it were true. One more for you, Andy. I, I, I have a feeling that uh, we may reach a point here based on how much the administration is, uh, you know, the Trump administration is, is talking about and, and, and upset about uh, the leaking that's going on, that they may, in a sense, borrow from the Obama administration's playbook and start going after journalists and journalist connections in order to find leakers, uh, which r- raises some very interesting First Amendment issues, to be sure. But even beyond that, I think that the press, while they didn't do that under the Obama uh, under the Obama administration, this time around, if anything like that happens, if the Depart- if Trump's Department of Justice starts pulling phone logs of journalists and, and doing things like that, they, that the press will go completely thermo, uh, thermonuclear. What do you think? Yeah, they will. And that's why I hope the Justice Department starts with the intermediate step. And there's a lot of things you can do before you start fiddling with the journalists. These people, the circles of people in the government who've had access to this information that got leaked buck should all be made to file affidavits. They should be made to appear in the grand jury, they should be grilled about, you know, who they spoke to. Uh, and we ought to be identifying inside the government who the leaker is. You always go to the media as a last resort. Um, but there's plenty of things that they can do investigatively to discourage this kind of activity. And I think at this point they really have to, because I don't see how they'll be able to govern if every time you make a plan, particularly something in the national security interest, um, it gets blown out of the water by a leak. Even under Obama, my my understanding is uh, when they did pull journalists into it, that's like an attorney general level thing. That becomes a big issue, right? Yes, you can't just uh, a, a normal, you know, line assistant United States attorney in a district can't just uh, subpoena the media. The, you know, that has to go up the chain of command. But it, look, they don't have a right to be immune from providing information in an investigation, and they know that. I mean, they fight like crazy whenever they get subpoenaed, but they usually lose, which is why, you know, occasionally you have journalists who end up uh, doing time in jail. The the reason they do time in jail is they don't have legal protection uh, from, you know, from in in terms of being able to protect their sources. Yeah, there's no federal shield law. Right. Yeah. Well, I think we're heading there, and that's, I mean, the press is going to be you know, this is going to be the, uh, you know, the, the the pass at Thermopylae for the media. I mean, they're going to they're make this into the biggest thing in history when, when the Trump administration starts trying to find these leakers if they pull any journalists in it. But, Andy, we're, we're, we're going to run into a break. we got to leave it there. Everyone should check out Andy's latest piece, nationalreview.com. Andy McCarthy, great to have you, sir. Thanks again so much. Thanks, Buck. Uh, team, quick break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are bold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. I almost forgot that uh, Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, uh, has been asked to uh, give the give testimony information to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees and uh, Michael Cohen via email. So the following to ABC News, I declined the invitation to participate as the request was poorly phrased, overly broad and not capable of being answered. Uh, I think it sounded something like that. He wrote that. He didn't say it. But so I said it for him. What? What? What participation? Who? Says who? 
uh, one of the great moments of the Trump campaign. It really was. It was uh, it was uh, magnificent. But so that's uh, where that's where he is on this. He's not going to in any way uh, offer up himself for testimony, which I can understand too. There's nothing good that comes of standing before one of these uh, congressional inquiries for somebody who, granted, you may think you've done nothing wrong and you have nothing to hide, but it still is is not helpful. Uh, I I also told you before that General Flynn will be providing some documents to one of the committees, um, but he's much further down this road and uh, I think does want to repair some of the reputational damage uh, that's been done up to this point. So uh, sure enough, uh, there's a lot of discussion now over where all of this is. By the way, you had you had John McCain saying over the weekend that Russia is a bigger a bigger threat than uh, than ISIS. Here, let's play this. Uh. I think he is the premier and most important threat, more so than ISIS. But it's the Russians who are trying, who tried to destroy the very fundamental of democracy. I view the Russians as a far is the far greatest challenges that we have. Now, I can't have it both ways here, right? Because people said that Mitt Romney was proven right when he said that Russia was our our greatest uh, geopolitical foe. Um, But I do think it's quite a strong statement to say that Vladimir Putin is a bigger threat than ISIS. We can't work with ISIS on anything. We have no commonality with ISIS. We don't sit down with ISIS. We don't talk to ISIS. Uh, sure, Putin is a, a bigger threat in the geostrategic sense of long-term great power conflict, but he, he's not trying to blow international airliners out of the sky just because. And the same thing could be said of China, I should note, but we have relations with them and there are places where there is uh, constructive dialogue to be had. There are places where we can uh, yes, dare I not 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 collude because we don't want to collude with them, but collaborate with them on some issues. And you know, this is a country we have diplomatic relations with. We're taking this quite a bit far. Um, and some Russian trolls saying mean things about Hillary and spreading fake news uh, is not as big a threat in my mind as a jihadist entity that has killed or caused the death of, if you look at Syria, hundreds of thousands of people, um, and would love to destroy our entire society. So that's just my take. We'll be right back. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're joined by Ben Mathis. He is a Hollywood producer and media strategist, host of Kick-Ass News. Uh, he has nearly 20 years of experience in the movie business and in politics, working with senators, governors, U.S. presidents, and world leaders. Ben, great to have you in the Freedom Hut. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, what for you right now is the most interesting story in the country? I just want to give you a lot of latitude here, and then we'll drill down into some stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't think that there's much competition for the Russia for the Russia investigation. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard for me. It's hard to imagine anything that is more interesting or taking up more oxygen than that. And the I polarization that this is creating in the media, uh, I, I think it's unprecedented. What do you hear from people um, that you deal with on the 
uh, on the Hollywood side of things, out in entertainment land, are there are there some who are who are left of center but recognize that this is a whole other realm of progressive crazy right now? Well, you know, I think that there are a lot of liberals in Hollywood who are looking at this and they think that they're going to be angry either way, whether there was no evidence or whether there was evidence for this. Either way, they were going to be calling for heads to roll. But uh, the question is, where is this? Where is it all going to lead? That's, I mean, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out right now. I'm, I'm trying very hard. I got, I'll be honest. I'm trying very hard to give him the benefit of the doubt here. But when something new comes up every week at a certain point, I have to check myself and say, well, is there more to this or is there not? But do you think that's uh, do you think the timing of that is more a reflection of new revelations or is the timing a coordinated drip drip campaign meant to keep this front and center even when there aren't particularly new or uh, or interesting revelations to be had you know it's hard to say i mean when something comes when when a new allegation comes out every week and it's coming from what seemed to me in many cases to be relatively reliable sources then it raises questions in my head you know i have to tell you you know the whole election i kept wondering why is donald trump abandoning the gop's policy on russia and putin and that's a big issue for me you know he he kept talking uh, t- he kept sorry he kept talking tough about china isis mexico north korea but he never said a peep about russia and when all of these connections keep coming up in the media to russia it kind of has to start to make me wonder Well, certainly a lot of people in the media are wondering about this. Um, You've been working in film and television, it says here, for for 20 years. So what's it like to be a right of center guy in a left of center Hollywood world? (laughs) Well, you know, when you're in a studio meeting or a script conference, you know, you'll always get probably 100 percent of the room will be liberals. And the liberals and the liberals in the room feel very comfortable inserting their politics into the situation because 100 percent of the room is on the same page. But the moment that someone expresses a conservative viewpoint, the meeting suddenly comes to a screeching halt and it becomes awkward, which isn't productive. <laughs> but then that's why I was raised not to talk about politics and religion, in social situations. Hollywood doesn't operate like that. No, Hollywood, I, I assume the, the, the biases come across even to those of us who are just on the on the consumer side of this. So I can't imagine what it's like on the production side. I remember being a young intern at uh, CBS Evening News and catching wind of some of the editorial conversations that were going on and thinking to myself, I'm only 18, but uh, this this doesn't sound like it's 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 a down the center, down the middle conversation at all, everybody. <laughs> oh, definitely. And I can think of times when we've been meeting on projects that had some kind of political context or were based on a political story, such as the 2000 election. And inevitably, during those meetings, someone will try to steer it toward the liberal point of view or make the liberal the hero at the end of the story, yet still try to give it the cover of being uh, unbiased and a true story and so forth. We're speaking to Ben Mathis. He is the host of uh, Kick-Ass News, and he's also an experienced guy out in in Hollywood. Tell tell us a bit, what is Kick-Ass News, other than just a fun name to say? You know, it began simply because I myself am a huge, huge fan of podcasting as a medium. I listen to probably a dozen podcasts a week. And more or less two and a half years ago, it started as a hobby for me. And I started off doing it as a political show simply because that's where my background was. 
And then about a year into it, I expanded it to encompass more than politics. We still do a lot of current events in politics, but also business, science, to pick the brains of anyone who's ever interested me, anyone I ever wanted to meet, anyone who's doing something exciting in a different field that I'm curious about. In that sense, I feel that it's been a wonderful gift to me, actually. I know you, you've had my my former boss uh, Glenn Beck on there. You, you've had quite oh, a yeah. quite a quite a lineup and quite a rolodex of folks coming on Kickass News. Uh, yeah, Glenn was terrific. He was a blast to have on. Sweet, sweet guy. Um, you know, it's funny. I think here in Hollywood, so many liberals want to make him out to be just a lunatic and crazy and the worst of the right, someone that they demonize. But he's actually a really nice guy. He's actually a very sensible guy. The moment people take time to actually listen to what he has to say, they find that they actually have a lot that they agree, that they agree with him about. Have you had anybody on the uh, on the podcast yet who takes the who takes the tone or takes the position that at the end of this whole Russia investigation, uh, there's going to be there is going to be the, the, the big moment of, oh, oh, my gosh, look what the president has done. You know, I, yeah, I think there are. Uh, I had uh, Alan Lickman, the guy who just wrote the book, uh, The Case for Impeachment, on, and he's <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, he, he sounds like he's up there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've been thinking about this over the past week, and I'll tell you, Buck, I don't think that Democrats really want to impeach Donald Trump. I think that they, you know, perhaps they want to replicate what Republicans did in the '90s against Bill Clinton and have the illusion and the outrage. But I don't think they actually want to drive him out of office. He's too valuable to their fundraising operation. I think they see him as, a, as the key to regaining the House and Senate in the midterms, if not 2020. Um, I also think that they would much rather have what they perceive to be an erratic or disorganized Republican in the White House, who is frankly at odds with many in his own party, than to have a President Mike Pence, who is an ideal, ideological conservative. He's disciplined and served in the House and could potentially push more legislation through than Donald Trump could by virtue of those relationships. Ben, where can people go to uh, download and learn more about Kick-Ass News? Uh, Yeah, we're on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. They can can also go to kickassnews.com. All right. Thanks so much. Ben Mathis of Kick-Ass News. We appreciate your time, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Buck. It was a heartbreaking story over the weekend, although uh, there are heroes in it, but they're heroes who uh, two of the three lost their lives. It was in Portland, Oregon, on on their mass transit system. A lunatic, uh, allegedly, and we have to say allegedly just as a as a it's the legal uh, well. It's a legal recognition that he has not yet been convicted in a court of law. So I'm not saying allegedly to hedge here or anything. It's just that is the terminology we use when somebody has not yet been proven uh, to be guilty. But it certainly seems like this guy is going away forever and, in fact, faces charges that can carry the death penalty. Jeremy Joseph Christian was on the uh, mass transit system in Portland and was uh, harassing a 16-year-old woman and her uh, friend who was in Muslim garb uh, on a train in Portland, Oregon last Friday. Uh, He was screaming. I I read the court report, or the police report, rather, 
and uh, he was screaming uh, epithets, uh, saying, uh, go back to Saudi Arabia, uh, death to the enemies of America, leave this country if you hate our freedom. Um, clearly, this guy is a, a deranged maniac, uh, and tragically, he's a deranged maniac who is carrying a folding knife. Um, and he was harassing these two young women. Harassing doesn't even really cover. I mean, really threatening these two uh, young women. On uh, one was uh, African American, and one, I believe, was African American, but in uh, in a hijab. And this guy, who is six three, two hundred fifty pounds, and uh, and was armed, um, was screaming at them. Uh, and a couple of guys um, tried to intervene. Uh, they stepped in to uh, attempt and calm down the uh, situation. At that point, Jeremy Joseph Christian uh, pulled out his knife and uh, murdered two, seriously wounded the third, but murdered two individuals who had uh, stepped in to try and uh, stop what was going on. Um, this is a, it's a, obviously a, it's tragic for the families of those uh, who were killed here. Um, it's it's horrible all all around. I mean, you have the young women who were uh, traumatized, um, and uh, then, of course, you have the much worse and more egregious harm of three people, Mika Fletcher, uh, Talison Namkai uh, Meche, and Ricky Best, uh, all uh, all attacked and two of the three were killed. Um, he stabbed them in the neck, and it was just brutal. Uh, my understanding is there's also video of this. Now, this guy, uh, this guy Jeremy Joseph Christian, uh, has a long rap sheet. He has convictions from 2002 on state charges of uh, robbery, uh, kidnapping, and unlawful use of dangerous weapon, and a 2011 conviction on federal charge of felon in possession of a firearm. He was sentenced to 90 months in prison in 2002. So this is somebody who has a long rap sheet, weapons possession, violent, felon, scary, scary guy. Um, but we uh, had a, a couple of Americans do what we do, which is when there's a situation like this, uh, we stand up for each other. Um, it's just tragic and, and horrific that uh, two were killed and a third uh, grievously wounded for doing the right thing, but it is a reminder to all of us. I, I did think that there was, um, despite what a, a terrible story this really was, uh, and of course it, it was immediately politicized by people on social media, and uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing the name uh, the next time there's a you know a suicide bombing somewhere, and we're saying, well, what do we do to stop uh, global jihadism? Some will say, well, what about Jeremy Joseph Christian? But you see, we do have our answer in a sense, um, and that is that the American people take care of each other. Um, and there was something very um, inspiring and reassuring that in a situation where somebody and look, if you look at the videos of this guy and he's in court and yelling crazy stuff, uh, this is somebody who, you know, a, a lot of us, I think we would recognize you get involved with a, a large, crazy individual like this, and you could have a real problem on your hands. So it took real courage for anyone to intervene here, but intervene they did, more than one, uh, and tried to stop 
what was happening from happening. Um, this, to me, is is representative much more so of the American character than what we're often hearing these days, which is that there's uh, we are there's so much hate and there's all this hate speech and the alt right and and the um, white nationalists and the uh, what is it the antifa and the uh, ultra progressive leftist anarchist you know crazies that are running around uh, that exists to be sure and this is something that I always say uh, white supremacists are a real thing uh, vile. Um, you know, white nationalist scum, they're a real thing. But they are a tiny minority that do not have any ideological support from the, the broader uh, political apparatus in this country or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, there's no uh, glo- there, there's no global, you know, jihad, so to speak, of people that are supporting someone like a Jeremy Joseph Christian. And in fact, Americans uh, stood up right away to stop him from um, verbally berating a couple of women. It seemed mostly because of the uh, one of them was in a hijab and Islamic dress, but I'm sure they're both minorities and this guy's a, a racist idiot. And um, But people intervened. And that's really who we are. We do intervene. Um, and, and we don't stand for that kind of behavior. So in a sense, while we look at this, and as I said, it's just it's heartbreaking uh, that we've lost uh, one of the one of them, uh, one of those killed was a veteran. I mean, the whole thing is just terrible. Um, but it is also, I think, a much uh, a, a much more optimistic representation of the American character and spirit than a lot of what we hear these days. In the sense that Americans did step in and did protect. Uh, our own as our own here. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, these are guys, these guys who stepped in to stop this, uh, this verbal assault from happening and were uh, attacked with a knife for their, um, for their doing the, the right thing. On As I said, it's, it's really uh, depressing and, and deeply saddening, but uh, that they would do this. There's a recognition in these guys on this train that those two women uh, who were sitting there, uh, you know, one was a, a 16-year-old and, and her friend, who I believe was probably close to her age, uh, you know, they're, they're defenseless against this large maniac. And they're someone's, these are two girls, they're someone's, you know, daughters, they're, you know, someone's sisters, someone's friends, someone's, you know, they're, and they're us, you know. And I keep saying, defended fellow Americans, I mean, if they could have been visitors, it doesn't matter. I mean, if these were... If these were tourists, it would have been the same impulse, the same American impulse to step into the breach and stop this from happening. I mean, I can tell you as somebody who rides the subway here in New York City all the time, I mean, five days a week at a minimum uh, and is on the subway at all hours, um, you know, I, I would not say that you could speak with complete confidence on this issue, but more times than not, if somebody was threatening someone and it was clear that there was an aggressor and it wasn't a look I mean if it's a, a dispute between two people you don't want to get involved but if it's just someone who's harassing and attacking somebody for no reason uh, you know I think uh, you would find my fellow New Yorkers my fellow Americans here would get involved and try to at least de-escalate the situation because that is really who we are I mean that is the uh, the character of the people who live in this country that doesn't mean that there aren't psychotic sick maniacs and 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 idiots running around like this guy jeremy joseph christian but 
it means that the vast majority of us are trying to stop the tiny minority of guys like him. Um, and that's that's really the best you can ask for in a country of 320 million people. Uh, there are going to be bad people, and there are um, here, but most of us um, overwhelmingly try to do the right thing. Our good people treat each other with um, respect and dignity. And, and there is something, I think, also that is specific in the, in the American character about uh, being men and women of, of action. As I said, one of these individuals who stepped in was a, was a veteran, so I'm sure that, of course, factored into, into his reaction and his thinking here by trying to de-escalate the situation. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, I mean, these are heroes and these are people that reminded us uh, in one of the ugliest incidents um, in recent in recent days and recent weeks that I've, I've read about uh, that there are people who will step in and do the right thing and will do it even if it means they take great risk even to their lives so uh, this is a story that I thought we should spend some time on I'm glad that we did um, we will by the way this guy was in court and was just saying insane stuff so I mean he's yelling about free speech and you know death to Antifa and what a what a maniac uh, hopefully he gets uh, hopefully he gets sent away for life, assuming he's found guilty by a jury of his peers, which I certainly think he will be. Um, we're going to light it up, team, and talk a bit about, uh, well, a lot of other stuff that's going on on Heat Street with our friend Emily Zanotti. So you're going to want to hear that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. We've got Emily Zanotti joining us now. She's the political editor at Heat Street. Check out her latest at heatst.com. Ms. Zanotti, what up? Not much. What's going on? Uh, how was your holiday weekend? It was excellent. Very relaxing. Good. That is what we like to hear, because now now you got to bring your A-game and tell us all, all right. of the things. Uh, like, first, artist adds Body. peeing dog next to Wall Street's fearless girl to protest corporatism. What? What? So, a couple of months ago, a artist put up fearless girl, who is a tiny little girl statue who's standing up to the charging bull on Wall Street, because apparently it's a model of feminism if you stand up to a raging good market. Um, but... Yesterday, an artist decided to put a small dog next to Fearless Girl who was peeing on Fearless Girl's leg. And it was a commentary on the corporate nature of Fearless Girl who was put there by a hedge fund looking to advertise itself. Huh. All right. Fair enough. Um, Now, tell me a bit about the White House communications director who has resigned. Right. So we hardly knew that there was actually a White House communications director, but it turns out that Mike Dunkey took the uh, took the position back in February, around February 25th or so. And he's been working as the White House communications director for a couple months. And he was the first of what we expect to be many changes in the Trump White House this week. He resigned this morning. Wait, what are the other changes that we're, we're supposed to be thinking about? So Sean Spicer is supposed to actually pull back from public life in the White House. He's going to be focusing more on a strategic role rather than doing these wonderful press conferences that we've come to expect. There's also been some discussion that there might be a war room starting, more of a crisis communications department in the West Wing rather than just 
sort of like this traditional model of how the West Wing operates in terms of press and talking to the press and dealing with the press. Huh. What do you think about that? I don't know. I think this White House is different from so many other administrations. There hasn't been this kind of laser focus from the media trying to hit this White House on every single thing. And it just hasn't been able to get its act together to turn that on its face. So maybe this is a good development. Maybe they do need some new blood here and to try to make sure that they're taking on crisis communications the right way. What's this I hear about Ivanka and Jared, the biggest couple since uh, Brangelina? Uh, What is this I hear about? Oh, wait, is that now? Yeah, that's over now, too, isn't it? Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that is. I know. I'm not up on my pop culture stuff. I know. This is why I need you to come into the Freedom Hut and and inform us about about matters, including the the Brad Pitt situation. Uh, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner are thinking of moving back to NYC. Why would they do that? So I guess they gave themselves six months. They said that if they get to June and it's not quite working out, that they would be going back to New York. They go. They gave up their lives. Jared Kushner was a real estate investor. Ivanka, of course, has this clothing and accessories company. And they really wanted to join the Trump administration. But it turns out that when you join the Trump administration, all you get is a bunch of garbage from the press. And they have little kids. They're not really enthusiastic about hanging out. And Jared has been in the news all weekend because he had worked on these back channels with a Russian ambassador that the media thinks are just terrible. And so they're thinking maybe it's time to give up on this dream of changing the world and go back to New York. You think you think they're going to step away from the administration? You really think they do that? You know, I don't know. I think they both kind of want a lot of success in this administration, but it feels like they've just been overwhelmed with being the targets. And Ivanka just wants to change things for women. Jared just wants to get things straight in the White House, but it just hasn't been easy for them. Uh, You know, I got to say, I wouldn't, if I were a billionaire um, in private life, I would go nowhere near the White House. (laughs) Nothing to do with it. If, if my father decided to run for president, I'd probably say that I was taking off for Europe or something. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's just especially especially with this administration, you're just not going to get. Uh, never mind the benefit of the doubt, you're not going to get a moment's peace. Um, not at all. Uh, Canada's national dish poutine is oppressive and stigmatizing. Ooh, this is also on Heat Street. We're talking to Emily Zanotti, by the way, is the political editor over there. Why is poutine stigmatizing? Because apparently Canadians used to make fun of other Canadians for eating poutine. So now if you say it's Canada, if you say it's Canada's national dish, you are being culturally appropriative because some people invented it. Other people didn't like it. So if now you claim to enjoy it, you're a jerk. I don't even do even I don't know what I'm going to admit this right now. I don't know what poutine is. Is it like I grew up in Detroit? So I know it's French fries with cheese curds on top, slathered in brown gravy. That actually sounds pretty decent. It's delicious. Yeah, I, I, I can get behind I can get behind that. So uh, as somebody who doesn't mind being oppressive and, and stigmatizing when it comes to just taking good food from anywhere in the world, right. I, 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 could, I could get down with some poutine. I think that sounds good. You should. It's definitely delicious. And throw in a burrito or two while it's at, because apparently you're 
appropriating culture if you're eating burritos now, too. By the way, tell me about how Hillary Clinton's team is worried that the resistance, the resistance doesn't want her. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) This is very sad. So Hillary Clinton has been trying to put herself at the forefront of the resistance since she returned to public life. So since she crawled out of the woods and decided to start giving speeches on the regular She has wanted to be the person everyone in the anti-Trump movement is turning to, to lead them. But sadly, they don't want her. And now her team is freaking out. They're saying we need to reevaluate everything. We need to come to a better strategy because everyone hates Hillary Clinton. Man, the Clinton brand, not what it uh, it used to be. But I I saw something about how Chelsea says... Oh, wait, here, wait, wait, we've got the audio. Ooh. <laughs> My whole life. I don't think that being a citizen is just something that happens in an election year. I think it's something that we have to feel responsibility to every day, and these days more than ever. Uh, I don't have any plans to run for office. Uh, I do plan to keep being an activist and raising my voice online and off. Um, I, I don't buy it. I think she's going to run at some point. I think there's no chance she won't. I, I, they have to. They have to recover the Clinton legacy somehow. And Chelsea is the only one to do it until Charlotte in like 2055. Yeah. I, I mean, right now, the, 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 the move is everyone knows the Clinton name, but right now it's a damaged brand. So you right. wait for it, you know? Yeah, you have to. You have to lay low. There's just nobody right now that anybody really likes with the last name Clinton. So if they can keep moving forward and keep Chelsea out in the spotlight. Eventually we'll all be bludgeoned into loving her. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, that's that, that does seem to be the rather depressing game plan, but thank you for that. Emily, Emily's on. By the way, how did I loved Marvel comics growing up? Uh, I was, I was, I like the X-Men a lot and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, why did they ruin Memorial day with cat with a Captain America tweet? What happened? So it turns out this last year, Captain America has been revealed to be a secret Nazi. So he's turned out that Steve Rogers was actually working for Hydra the whole time in the latest arc of Marvel Comics, Captain America. And then Marvel decided on Memorial Day to use Captain America to honor all of our fallen veterans and our fallen soldiers like nothing had ever happened. It turns out fallen soldiers and their veteran colleagues don't really like it when you use a Nazi to honor the war dead so they kind of made a big mess actually oh gosh marvel <laughs> comics haven't they been running doing some social justice stuff recently too aren't they're, they're it's like they're ruining comics yeah they've decided that they wanted to do more of these arcs where the superheroes became sort of social justice warriors they had uh, a young muslim is marvel but what happened is their comic book readership dropped way off. So about three weeks ago, they said that they were going to cut off all of these sort of social justice oriented comics and get back to the way it was. So hopefully we'll be seeing better stuff from them this year, though. I don't know. I'm kind of rough. Uh, yeah, they're, they're turning into the ESPN of comics, as in like, right. we, we just want you to do what you do. Stop trying to do something else. I just want to watch Sports Center. I don't want to, anybody to tell me what to think. Yeah, I, I want to watch sports on TV that where people are really good at sports and they talk about sports. And I want to read comics where people fight evil and have really cool powers. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm a, I, you know, I, I, I keep it real. What can I say? <laughs> Emily Zanotti, everybody, yeah. is the political editor at Heat Street. Check out her latest at heatstreet.com. And she is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Emily, always great to have you swinging by the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Ah, yes. Yeah, I like the X-Men. I didn't think the X-Men movies really were as good as they should have been, but that's perhaps a discussion a discussion to be had another time. Um, I think we'll talk a bit about uh, what red-pilling means and also Tiger Woods um, and his whole situation on the weekend. So we'll we'll get into some, some different stories than our usual national security and political fair here coming up. Just some some odds and ends, things to talk about. Uh, I'll hit a quick break, team, and we'll be right back. Stay with me. Over the course of the holiday weekend, team, you you may have seen the Tiger Woods photo. Um, This led to a lot of mockery, of course, on social media. And there is a a very, um, I think... Uh, discouraging and troubling tendency uh, among so many in this country to just revel in the humiliation of other people, and especially under this idea that somebody who is rich and famous is um, perhaps more able to take the humiliation, which at some level is true, but also I think that the public enjoys this a bit more than the public should. I think that we've reached a point now where uh, we all need to take a step back and understand that when someone's marriage collapses, uh, when somebody has been the subject of so much uh, public uh, humiliation and uh, opprobrium and has lost so much of whatever it is that they had built up over the years, it's sad even for somebody who's really rich and really powerful, um, I'm not saying that you don't hold people to account and that there, we shouldn't know about things that happen to the rich and famous or anything like that, that we should give them a pass. But it, there's just a little too much schadenfreude, right? There's too much joy at the suffering of, of others that I see happening all the time. I mean, Tiger Woods, look, I'm not a guy who plays golf, so I don't know very much about golf. Uh, but I know that Tiger Woods is one of the greatest, if not the greatest golfer to ever live and is insanely wealthy and incredibly famous and now is also known for uh, serial infidelity uh, while he was married uh, and a proclivity, a, a tendency to sleep with lots and lots of women in some cases that he barely knew probably didn't know their last names um so that's what we know about tiger woods but like many other famous people i think there's an assumption that he is uh he, at some level that he he deserves it more because he's famous and 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 we like to pile on there's a pile on effect that happens with these celebrities I would always like to take a step back i, I try to take a step back and say you know, no matter who you are uh, no matter how much money you have, and look, I've, I've, I'm not rich. I've never been rich, so maybe, maybe it would change if I were rich and famous. I'm not famous either, so uh, I can't speak from knowing. Uh, but I have been around a fair number of people and gotten to know some very well who are both incredibly rich and, and in some cases, who are rich and and famous. And uh, they have all the same fears and insecurities and uh, problems that that plague the rest of us. Uh, you know, they. 
They have a, a lack of purpose sometimes in their lives. They feel unappreciated by a spouse or they feel uh, they can't trust those around them because they always want something from them. I just think it's a more complicated picture than, than is often shown, literally, than, than the picture that is shown uh, in the media. And Tiger Woods is clearly a guy with problems. But uh, you look at David Letterman. I was thinking about this recently. And here's somebody who is uh, was a beloved figure for reasons that are beyond my comprehension because I, I didn't find him funny. I always found him quite snarky and kind of nasty, at least in his, in his later years as a, as a supposed comedian making vast sums of money to mostly read jokes other people write for him. I just thought he was somebody who was really lucky. But I did see that when he had that scandal that broke because he had an affair uh, with a person who worked for him, and he was a married man, of course, when the scandal broke and there was an attempt to blackmail him as well, uh, he was he said that he was afraid to go outside. And that that's how terrified of life he was. That's how damaged he was by that whole process. And I got to say, I, I felt, no, was it self-serving for me to say this? Sure. I mean, do I really know? No, of course not. But I, 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 real, I felt a real pang of, of sympathy for the guy just in that, man, can you, can you imagine being worth, you know, he's probably worth, I don't know, $100 million, $200 million, some enormous sum of money worth all this money, be so famous, and be famous in a way that people love you. I mean, to be famous in conservative media, for example, uh, if, if I were ever so blessed as to get to a point of being known in conservative media in, in a really national sense, half the country at least hates you. If you're David Letterman, most of the country either is indifferent to you or really likes you um, or thinks good things about you. Uh, but even someone in his position is not above uh, is not above the pains of a personal life gone off the rails. Look, you see this with a lot of very successful performers, whether in in entertainment or with athletes like Tiger Woods, the pressures that they're under and also, and I'm not, look, I'm not making excuses for any of them, right? I I mean, I I think that it's much easier and I often generally go to that place of thinking if I were super rich and famous, I I wouldn't uh, ever make any of these mistakes. And I don't think I would make the mistakes that these guys make. But I also don't revel in their pain. That's what I'm trying to draw a distinction to. Uh, sure, maybe they're weak, but they've they've fallen weakness to uh, what other human beings certainly many times over have done. Uh, Kevin Williamson, I thought, had a good piece in National Review on this where he said, we like to convince ourselves that we're not like these guys uh, and girls, but you know these these famous uh, male performers in particular, athletes or... Uh, or you know, comedians, actors who just make incredibly poor life decisions. Uh, oh, I don't even know if I mentioned, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is one of these things where Buck, you've got to get the story out before you start analyzing it. So Tiger Woods was found in a car on a whole bunch of prescription drugs and uh, they arrested him for DUI and it became a national story because he also, he looked really out of it and there's something sad about this and see that's what i take away as the story that someone could be worth the better part of a billion dollars and have had so much success and been so famous and so uh beloved by many strangers at least uh, all across the country and around the world and clearly be in real pain and distress uh there's a lot that we can take from this and i, I think that 
the predominant story is always, of course, look at this person, so big, so famous. Look at what a jerk he is. I, I, I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but I, I try to take more of an approach of, you know, all of us have, a, in our own way, all of us have a tough road and everyone has their ups and downs. And I know I sound like some high school athletic coach right now, which I was at one point for soccer for a season, and I will say I was excellent. But it's true, all of us have our ups and downs, and uh, any of us can be brought low in one day, with one mistake even. And so I, I try to look at somebody like like Tiger Woods, despite all of his circumstances, everything going on, everything going on, and all the very poor decisions he made, and of course the pain he's caused his family. And I try to think, well, I feel bad for the guy too, as much as we all sit here and look at his photo and say, wow, what a mess. All right, I'm going to hit a quick break, team. I'll be right back. He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. That is one of the better known sequences from the movie uh, The Matrix back in 1999. One of the best action movies of all time, I should add. I put it in the top 10. I might even say we could put The Matrix in top five action movies all time. You can make the argument. I mean, it's it gets tough there with some other films. Does it go ahead of Under Siege, a little more classic in the genre? Uh, but, I mean, I think you have to put Die Hard, Predator. You know, there are a couple that are in the top five. And The Matrix is certainly in the conversation. The first Matrix movie. The second one wasn't a total atrocity, but was pretty bad. The third one didn't happen. Let's just pretend it, it didn't happen. Uh, but I should note that some years ago on my program, uh, Buck Sexton, The Buck Sexton Show uh, on The Blaze, I use the analogy of red pill, blue pill, just as something fun with with Team Buck. And I think I I even played that clip maybe four or five years ago on the air. And I I wasn't thinking that it was some great moment of ingenuity or or, uh, creativity that nobody else could ever thought of. Uh, No, not at all. I I just thought I love the Matrix and I thought it was a cool way to come back into a segment. And I'm sure other people have used it for any number of things. And like I said, it's it's a well-known... Uh, cultural moment, that that sequence in The Matrix, uh, red pill or blue pill. Remember, if he takes the red pill, he finds out what The Matrix really is. If he takes the blue pill, he gets to just uh, continue to go on existing in this false but comfortable reality uh, that The Matrix creates for him. Uh, I bring it up because there was a piece that I should have uh, seen, but it just escaped my radar initially, uh, from New York Magazine, and it is the online radicalization we're not talking about, uh, written by Alice Marwick and Becca Lewis. And this is a, a rehash in many ways of what we've been told in the past, which is that the real terrorism, the real extremist threat in this country is right wing. And meanwhile, you sit here and you can name all of the uh, all of the all the right wing terrorists in American recent American history off the top of your head who have engaged in a mass casualty attack 
Um, and if you were to try to name all of the jihadist mass casualty terrorist attacks, uh, you would be unable to do so. And if you try to add into that all of the disrupted plots and the ongoing investigations into jihadist terrorism, you'd have no chance. Neither would I. There are so many of them that are going on at any point in time. But there is an entire industry, an entire intellectual or pseudo-intellectual movement of people out there who are desperate in one way or another to prove uh, that, one, jihadist terrorism is... Uh, inflated as a problem, and two, right-wing terrorism is understated, is downplayed as a as a problem. And this article goes to that as well, and it talks about the alt-right, which I remember when Trump won, there were a lot of articles in the weeks afterwards about how the alt-right was now this major political force, and in fact the alt-right is going to run the White House. Those people were foolish, and that was nonsense, the people that were writing that. Well, you look now at the, the key figures in this White House, you have, you have forget about Trump for a second, and I'll get to that. Um, General Mattis, nothing to do with the alt right, and a fantastic Secretary of Defense by all accounts, uh, be, beyond reproach as Secretary of Defense pick. Uh, you have McMaster as National Security Advisor. You have Gary Cohn, the Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, you have Reince Priebus. I mean, you go down the line, uh, Rex Tillerson. Uh, what you you've got Steve Bannon, who is a, a White House advisor who may or may not last in his role much longer. Who knows? Uh, you have one person that has connections to a right wing website, or is, was the main guy running a right wing website, and that means it's an alt right administration. I mean, it was just nonsense when it was said. It was a smear at the time, uh, but here we are. And uh, sure enough, uh, the alt-right as a fear, uh, the alt-right as a concern in this country is something that the media has not let up on at all. And so you, you go back to this New York Magazine report about blue pill, red pill. They say that this is one of the ways the radicalization occurs, that people are told within the alt-right spheres, people are told that they can take the red pill or the blue pill. And if you take the red pill, you are going to become, well, depending on uh, what they're talking about, uh, you're going to become somebody who adopts extreme right-wing uh, right postures. Uh, this is what they write. Red-pilling the normies is a primary goal of far-right movements. They want to convert people, especially young men, to their way of thinking. What the red pill actually reveals depends on who's offering it. To men's rights activists... Being red-pilled means throwing off the yoke of popular feminism and recognizing that men, not women, are the oppressed group. To the alt-right, it means revealing the lies behind multiculturalism and globalism and realizing the truth of isolationist nationalism. To conspiracy theorists, it may mean accepting the influence of the New World Order on society. To white supremacists, it means acknowledging that Jewish elites control the culture and, ex and are accelerating the destruction of the white race. Red-pilling is the far-right equivalent of a consciousness-raising or, in today's lingo, becoming, quote, woke. Uh, okay, so I can't—I'm not going to quibble with the notion that people use red-pill to mean different things. I said red-pill on my show four years ago, okay? So—and The Matrix is a very famous movie, and it's a very um, clear— meme-like way to show somebody that they have a choice to make, right? This is just like people say, go down the rabbit hole, Alice in Wonderland, 
Okay, that's a very useful uh, analogy, very useful allusion to a literary work. People use it all the time. It's not like you're clever. You could say, how far does the rabbit hole go when you're talking about uh, conspiracy theories in the U.S. government? Or you could talk about the rabbit hole with regard to you know, the Fed, or you could talk about the rabbit hole, whatever you want, right? I mean, it's a very useful way, uh, it's a very useful tool for discussing, chasing something endlessly and seeing how deep an issue goes. Okay, so red pilling is now being taken over, they're saying, by the alt-right. And one thing that, and there's a lot that I like to um, get into about this piece, but because it's representative of a broader left-wing mentality. This is not unusual. You'll hear this kind of stuff from journalists across the spectrum, uh, and that is that they believe that the alt-right is now a much more prominent part of conservatism, of the right in general, than it is. Uh, and that's where the difference really lies. You see, when, when they talk about the alt-right, they're talking about a small number of people usually hiding behind some degree of anonymity on the internet and who are representing fringe beliefs and have no political power and are repudiated by the apparatus of conservatism and the Republican Party. When you talk about the far left, uh, which would include now people who think that uh, that men should be assumed, in, uh, assumed guilty until proven innocent on campus sexual assault uh, grounds, you know, whenever there's a, a possible when you uh, that that if you don't use the pronoun they, you are some kind of evil bigot, and if you're in the New York Times, you have to write a very long apology. Uh, that's mainstream on the left. That is the intellectual peak. Their lunatics are in charge. The lunatics on the right are still considered lunatics, and this is what they never seem to understand when they're making these comparisons. Yeah, are there, I, I always read about Stormfront or you read about uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center saying there's more white supremacists now than ever before online. Uh, first of all, the Southern Poverty Law Center discredits itself constantly with its uh, far left progressivism. It's, it's not about uh, just checking and, and stopping hate groups. It, it's really about stopping the Republican Party. And uh, Stormfront and these other white supremacists that exist online, they are groups that we hear about, but I've never seen anything from them, meaning I've never seen anything retweeted from one of them. I've, I've never seen any of this propaganda information that's supposedly out there. And all I do is read all day long. I mean, that's my job is to essentially read constantly, uh, do research, take notes and come on air and talk to you and bring you the best information that I can. And this stuff doesn't even come across my radar, meaning I don't even see it incidentally, you could say. Uh, I don't even have incidental collection of alt-right memes, and I don't see any of this. Uh, but if I were to go on the other side and say the most extreme positions of the progressive left, uh, that, for example, speech equals violence, that's an insane belief. That's that's lunacy. Uh, but it is mainstream among college liberals. It is mainstream among Democrat activists. It is mainstream among even now uh, some progressive politicians. Um, but I also thought it was fascinating in this New York Magazine piece where it says that, quote, the far right plays on a much broader dislike of political correctness among many young men who feel alienated from mainstream culture. 
These men may have a hard time finding like-minded friends in their day-to-day lives or connecting with romantic partners. Some have economic challenges and refer to themselves as NEETS, N-E-E-T-S, an acronym for Not in Education, Employment, or Training. As a result, they are very resistant to the idea of male privilege or white privilege as they don't recognize themselves as privileged. Uh, I'm not somebody who recognizes or will accede to or will bend the knee to this notion of white privilege or male privilege. I think it is intellectual crap or intellectualized crap. It's not intellectual because it's not smart. It's meaningless. It's garbage. That's not alt-right. That's just reality. And you see what happens here once again, and it's nothing new on the left, is they take a tiny minority uh, opinion uh, and they and they try to inflate it as a means of uh, discounting and and just uh, it, it, undermining the entirety of conservatism, the GOP, the Republican Party, all of it, right? And this is why they they try to inflate the notion of the alt right. And meanwhile, I don't like the term alt left because I think that's kind of a you know na na na. It's like we're pointing fingers at them; they're pointing fingers at us. But the progressives on the left are running the Democratic Party and are given an enormous platform in the media and are incredibly influential. And we need to recognize that reality. And uh, and that's why I just think this false equivalency game of, oh, the alt-right and, uh, you know, the, or the alt-right is, is such a profound force is just nonsense. It's a lie. But I also hate that they're saying that red pilling now is somehow associated with the alt-right. No, Red Pill, it's from The Matrix, which is a great movie, and I'm not going to let them take this away and say that it's about you know white nationalists or something. It has nothing to do with uh, white nationalists. Uh, just because a few idiots on the internet may use this, it doesn't mean that it's a meme that should be taken from all the rest of us forever. I don't, I don't agree with that logic. Anyway, um, I'm going to hit a quick break here, team. Uh, I will be back in just a moment. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. I don't always know if I should ignore something because I know that it's been done to get attention from people, well, like me and everybody else, uh, or if it's important to dive in. And even though we know that it's an act of uh, attention-seeking to to give it what it seeks because it still illustrates a, a broader mindset or point of view. So, you might have seen this uh, comedian Kathy, Kathy uh, Griffin, who is not funny and hasn't been funny for a long time, but uh, she has released photos of herself where she has a severed, clearly severed Donald Trump, bloody severed Donald Trump head in her hands. And uh, there's a joke. They're saying that. Uh, Quote, she joked that she and she and Tyler Shields, who is the photographer, would need to move to Mexico once the pics get released for fear they'd be thrown in prison. Now, this is how this is going to play out. Of course, threats against the president's life are uh, investigated and and can be a felony. Uh, They're going to say this is art. This is not actually a threat. And they've done this before. I should note Uh, the left gets away with this kind of childishness and. Uh, and attention-seeking, and also debasing of dialogue and and discussion. There was a documentary some years ago. It was a a document, not a documentary, a a feature film 
about a presidential assassination that was clearly an allusion to President Bush at the time, and they just let that go. They just figured, okay, well, you know, we're not going to make a big deal of that. And of course, everyone on social media today has been contrasting uh, Kathy Griffin and how she'll get away with holding up. I'm, I'm almost certain she'll get away with holding up a severed Donald Trump head, bloodied, severed Donald Trump head. When an MMA fighter who said that he wished Obama would get in the ring with him was, in fact, uh, questioned by the Secret Service, uh, a rodeo clown who wore a Barack Obama mask uh, was, in fact, roundly criticized and, and became you know, a, national, a national outrage story, even though rodeo clowns wear masks of all presidents. Um, didn't matter. Uh, there's nothing new about rodeo clowns wearing masks uh, that are of uh, that are previous presidents, but you couldn't wear an Obama mask. And you can, however, hold up a severed Donald Trump head. Look, we know that hypocrisy is the water in which the Democrats swim. It, it's just who they are um, because their primary ideology or their, their their fundamental principle is about feeling good about oneself because of the positions one holds and because of the politics that one believes in. Uh, it's not really about what this does for people, poor people, minorities, the oppressed or anything else. Those are just the words used. Those are just all the verbalizations of self-congratulation that is the defining characteristic of the modern Democrat. So uh, this is not surprising and it's grotesque, but it is also a reminder of the double standards. And the double standard here, of course, is that anything that's anti-Trump, the media will make excuses for, up to and including uh, threats against the president. And we saw the way they were with Obama. We saw it. We, we know. Um, and it's just a, it's a disgrace to watch the double standard play out time and again, but that's unfortunately where we are. Uh, team, it is an honor as always to have uh, had a chance to be with with you here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for for joining me. Uh, do download the podcast if you would, please. Go to Buck Saxon with America now on iTunes. Click subscribe. Very much appreciate it if you do. You can check out our latest at bucksexton.com whenever you get the chance. That would be uh, also, I think, well worth your time. If you're not already, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash bucksexton. We're going to have a very busy week in the Freedom Hut team and... Uh, I'm excited to get a chance to uh, hang out with you more with each day. So thank you, as always, for joining. Until the next go-round here in the hut, uh, I would say, oh, wait, um, I can't make the announcement just yet. I, I, I have a couple of announcements, but I, I know I'm, I'm teasing a tease now, but I've got some stuff planned. I've got some stuff planned. You'll be hearing about it in the days ahead for sure. All right, team, uh, no matter what happens, as always, Shields high.